Hello and welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of Eco Business. On today's show, we're going to talk about Australia's mining industry and the transition to clean energy. Australia's development story is at something of a crossroads. It is the world's biggest exporter of coal, and mining the fossil fuel is one of the enduring pillars of its economy. For decades, Australia's coal and natural gas has fueled economic growth in the rest of Asia. But Australia also wants to be the renewable energy superpower of Asia-Pacific and has the potential to be the mining centre for the minerals needed to make solar panels and wind turbines and fuel the region's transition to clean energy. But what about the massive environmental impact of mining? Should extractive industries continue to play such a big role in Australia's sustainability story, even though they're helping to fuel the energy transition? As the deadline approaches for the Eco Business A-List, our annual search for the region's most influential sustainability executives, it's worth asking what steps Australia's big mining firms are taking to make environmental, social and governance issues part of their operations. To talk about mining and clean energy and much else, on today's show, I'll be talking to Michael Savatico, who works for S&P Global Market Intelligence as Asia-Pacific Head of ESG Business Development, spearheading the company's sustainability data and analytics capabilities based in Sydney. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you very much, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. So great having you on the show. Um, Pressure is building on Australia's mining sector to decarbonise. A report from October last year found that Australia's six biggest miners produce more emissions than the whole country. So I want to ask you, where is the conversation right now in Australia about sustainability of the mining sector and whether miners should be responsible for the emissions from burned coal? Mm. Yeah, that, look, it's a, it's a great question, Robin, and you know, what we're seeing uh, in uh, in the industry from the perspective of a, a, a researchers looking at the way mining companies are behaving is is a, a greater focus on the environmental uh, responsibilities that that the companies have. They are they are uh, in, increasing their accountability and recognition of of the impact that they have the focus uh, for a long time has been on the emissions from uh, a, a, a direct perspective so the emissions that are being generated um, by an entity in, in producing energy or the emissions that are brought in um, to an entity uh, through mainly through um, electricity but nowadays, uh, there's there's a greater focus on those emissions that occur after a product has left the boundaries of, of the, the operations of a, a company. And, and as you can imagine, in the case of a mining company, certainly those companies that are mining uh, thermal coal, which is going to be used for power generation, the, the carbon emissions are significant in in the use. So the the fact that we're we're seeing a recognition and and a recording of the the scope three emissions and and where where they're not being recorded, the the modelling has improved so that they can be estimated, and we're seeing investors and banks as well take these into consideration 
that's a sign that 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 mining companies uh, will need to to take these uh, carbon emissions. That in other words, they'll need to take the the climate impacts of the products that they're producing into account more so than previously. So, in your view, Michael, what's driving that? Uh, the, the drivers of uh, accountability from an environmental perspective are many. Initially, it was a focus from uh, social pressure and, and social media provided the tools for, for people's opinions and views to, to be heard. Um, the regulators were, were quick to uh, identify the issues and, uh, and comment and provide guidance. And that, that includes in Australia as well, uh, such as the, the, uh, the three uh, financial regulators, APRA, ASIC and the RBA, uh, have all made statements about climate change. But I suppose it's even a step further back than that. I mean, the climate change has been on the agenda for for thirty years uh, in 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 the public space. And we're going all the way back um, to the origins of global thinking around climate change and the UNFCCC and its creation, and and that was all driven by the science of climate change. Uh, which, which has been widely uh, accepted, and, and I say that with a with a, a smirk. In, in that, you know, coming from um, Sydney, Australia, I realise that for for many people, the science of climate change is polar. But we're seeing a stronger support case uh, for action on climate change because of the the physical. Uh, impacts of climate change that, that we've seen recently and the, the link between those hazards that have led to significant uh, damage and loss of life and climate change. And so companies companies are, are a critical part of, of the global economy and Australia's economy and those companies are, uh, are, are reacting uh, to all of those pressures uh, and to the understanding that the better they deal with these environmental issues, uh, the, the, the better they are prepared for the future. Now, talking um, a while ago, uh, Mike, you said an interesting and controversial thing that despite what you've just said about mining and the climate impacts of mining, and um, we've seen uh, climate change uh, take a real grip in Australia over the past uh, 18 months with bushfires, etc. Um, you've suggested that Australia actually needs more, not less mining. Um, what do you mean by that? And how does that fit in with Australia's sustainability story? Yes. Well, well you're right, Robin. I can imagine that some people might say that as a, a vast contradiction. <laughs> uh, because when people think of mining, uh, they they generally think uh, of of coal, thermal coal, especially. Mm. Uh, uh, whereas, whereas in fact, when you look at uh, Australia from a mining perspective, uh, yeah, thermal coal uh, makes up less than ten percent of our current export uh, numbers by value, and. Uh, other commodities like iron ore make up a much greater proportion, um, somewhere around 35%. And, and so 
you know, the the idea that we need more mining to deal with climate change uh, comes from the, the the view that mining is required. The minerals that the that we mine are required to create the the solar panels and the wind turbines that are required for our renewable energy transition. And even better than than just having that link to, well, you know, if we mine these minerals, um, you know, we can create the infrastructure to solve for our energy problems. The actual economics of it works in favour of mining for the renewable um, renewable hardware, uh, and some some quick analysis that that was was done on um, the value of mining uh, these uh, minerals for renewable energy uh, demonstrated that that if we focused on on mining those minerals, that economically we'd be uh, much better off. And in in fact, for every terawatt of power that could be produced by thermal coal and the value of that thermal coal to the Australian economy, that, that terawatt of power would, um, would lead to five times the value that the coal would to the Australian economy um, by producing the, the uh, renewable energy uh, infrastructure. Hmm, that's really interesting. Uh, I think there's a piece in The Economist recently that talked about shifting uh, geopolitical domination, right? It used to be tied to where the petrochemical resources um, lie, right? Now it's about resources for renewable energy, um, stuff like lithium and cobalt, which is used to make uh, renewable energy resources. So what you're saying is Australia is a potentially a, a really strong position going forward if it adapts or shifts its it, the focus of its uh, mining operations, right? Yeah, well, Australia um, yeah, stands to benefit enormously. And there, there was a, a report put out last year uh, led by the CSIRO on Australia's outlook uh, which identified as one of the major themes, the opportunity is there for Australia to be the renewable energy power hub, not just for Australia itself, but for, for Asia. The, the opportunity is there to put solar panels in locations where, where the impact on the environment is, is low because it's outside of areas that are, are built up. In fact, it's in deserts. Uh, and and the ability to produce the energy and transport the energy through to Indonesia and Singapore um, and and beyond is there for for Australia. So you know we just need the right investment environment to encourage and support a framework that is, when I say to encourage, we need a framework that allows investors. To, to have confidence in the long-term policy positions to uh, invest in those solutions. Absolutely. It also raises another question, you know, um, some environmentalists will say, well, any sort of mining is hard to justify, right? Such is the environmental impact of mining. You know, can you 
can you justify the expansion of an extraction industry, um, even if it is to sustain the energy transition? Essentially, the foundation of the environmental social governance research is, is asking this exact question. What is the this, this environmental and social impact of, of a company uh, and the externalities, so the cost of the company on the environment or on society that that is not recognized in the bottom line of the, the company. We, we've been analyzing this for a long time. And in looking at this, you know, when, when we assess a, a mining company, we're very conscious of uh, the impact the mining company has on the, the environment, on local communities. So we look at things like biodiversity and, and that includes the land use. We look at you know, the environmental policy and management systems and we're assessing the environmental reporting. We're assessing it from um, a climate strategy perspective. As much as we are looking at social dimensions where we're, we're yeah, assessing the, the company's human capital and development policies, their procedures, their practices and their performance against those issues. The same goes for, for labour practice indicators, um, you know, health and safety from an operational perspective, um, or, or even outright, you know, human rights issues uh, and, and social reporting. So, you know, mining companies uh, or mining companies that are covered by an ESG analysis like an ESG score are being very closely scrutinised and analysed through this lens. Now, EcoBusiness uh, is running a platform called the A-List, um, at the end of this year to find the most influential sustainability practitioners in Asia Pacific, which S&P is supporting. So my question is, you know, are there any uh, miners, uh, mining companies or individuals within these uh, mining companies you think are really leading the way for the sustainability of the mining sector at the moment, Michael? When we're, when we're looking at, at mining companies, and I'm thinking just about Australian companies here, you know, for instance, when we're assessing companies at opposite ends of the spectrum from, from you know, good companies or companies that score highly to companies that score poorly um, on, on our assessment, we have, you know, for instance, BHP sitting uh, very high on our, our list of, or on our scores. It's ESG scored very highly. So if 100 is the highest score there, they're, um, they're sitting um, a, a, a marginally above 70. Whereas at, at the other end of the spectrum on, on the poor scores uh, is Whitehaven Coal, which uh, is sitting you know, far closer to a, a score of zero. So, you know, and that's an assessment based on, on the ESG criteria. Where, whereas if you're looking at it from a climate change perspective, we're assessing you know, the emissions, that's the emissions coming in, generated by the, the organization or coming into the organization. We're looking at the reporting of the organization uh, on issues um, like uh, the, the GHG emissions. So we look further than just carbon emissions. We look at all the emissions that, that contribute to global warming. Uh, but we also look at water and waste and air pollution. Um, and we, we're able to assess each of those and, and then... Uh, calculate the cost the the cost of uh, those externalities and then we're able to measure that cost back to 
to the profit and loss of the company back to its to its earnings. And in the mining sector, um, for Australian companies, the that impact cost, uh, the impact ratio tends to be um, at, at the higher end of the spectrum compared to other industries. An often overlooked part of ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance issues, which you touched on there, Michael, is, is the S bit, the social bit. Now, I want to ask you about an issue called the just transition, which is a big issue in mining. As we switch from fossil fuels to renewable energy, um, jobs will inevitably um, be lost or displaced um, or replaced. Now, I want to ask you where Australia is at the moment on reskilling, say, coal miners or fossil fuel miners to enable um, their migration into other jobs as uh, coal declines. This is a, a, a major issue and a serious concern, and and one where we Australia has seen some some or had some poor experiences and examples like the Hazelwood um, closure down in Victoria, where it, it was uh, the, the impacts were made worse by the fact that it was um, very, very quickly, um, it occurred very quickly. So there wasn't time to, to plan. And, and, you know, the good news is that lessons have been taken away from that. The experience has led to a realization that a just transition is a well-planned transition, and and we need to um, we need to be aware of the impacts on the workforce, which often, you know, in in rural towns, uh, makes up a, a a good chunk of the labour force. There's going to be more situations in the future where uh, the risk of um, large coal-fired power plants are closing will occur. It's, it's it's being discussed right now. I do feel very strongly about this. I was part of an investor group on climate change and we had some presentations from, um, from workers, um, you know, and, and we can understand from, from their perspective and viewpoint that it's very hard you know they, they they might be you know second or third generation workers in a coal-fired power plant and up until this point in time you know they're they're being told that their job is critical and you know they're one of the most important functions in our economy creating the power that we need to generate industry uh, and, and we certainly don't want to give the impression to those people that, you know, they're, they're no longer um, as, um, uh, that they're no longer as well respected for the work that they've done. Uh, you know, so ideally the just transition um, sees them uh, transition into roles and skills uh, which, which allow them to be um, equally as as rewarded in their in their new role as they were um, in their previous role. Australia could well be a, a role model for other countries, right? Like Indonesia, a big coal producer, um, where that converse, the same conversation is happening. How do you migrate coal miners uh, into uh, other sectors without them being uh, losing their jobs, being disenfranchised? Um, so yeah, important conversation. Um, Michael, now Look, across across Asia yeah. Pac, um, Robin, yeah. let me yeah. let me jump in sure. there. I mean, it's you know, it, it's the Philippines, it's Vietnam, uh, you know, it, it, it's China as well. So there's there's a you know large 
part of the labour force involved in creating energy from coal-fired power. Um, and you know, I once had had somebody ask me like, you know, "What are these? What are these economies going to do?" Um, uh, and you know, will will the impacts of, of of, of climate change investing and the transition to renewable energy be as significant in these countries? Well, you know, the answer to that is well, climate change is happening and the, the physical risks of climate change will affect everybody and everything. Uh, and in Asia uh, Pacific, a lot of the countries, a lot of the countries that we, we just mentioned are at very high risk of the hazards of, of climate change. And the the risks are significantly worse if we uh, don't maintain or limit, if we don't limit the temperature rise. So the risks of a two degree rise in global warmings are significantly worse than a 1.5 degree rise. And the risks of, you know, a, a three plus degree rise, which is the trajectory that we're currently on, uh, are even far worse than a two degree rise. So that's um, you know, storms, um, oh, hurricanes, it's sea level rise, it's heat waves, mm. all of all of which I point out as uh, out of the many hazards that we cover, I point out those three because those three are the ones that Asia Pacific is going to be heavily impacted by. Now you mentioned earlier on, Michael. Um, company called Whitehaven. Now, I mentioned this because Whitehaven was at the centre of an interesting legal case in uh, Australia recently. I want to ask you about that. So, some a bunch of teenagers, actually, and a nun have uh, filed a lawsuit against the government of Australia um, over the expansion, the planned expansion of a mine uh, by Whitehaven, a coal mine by Whitehaven, citing the impacts of climate change and the threat uh, against their future. What do you make of it all, Michael? Look, it's it's not the first time that Australia's seen this kind of of action come from, you know, the the millennials. Uh, I don't want to sound dismissive when I say that. What what I, what I mean to say is that it's it's occurring. Uh, more than once. This isn't just a one-off situation. We saw the same thing when a, a young member of REST Superannuation Fund sued the sued REST, uh, which is you know, an Australian pension fund, um, you know, with with the, the uh, questioning um, their breach of fiduciary duties to adequately consider climate risks. Uh, we saw the same thing. Recently, with a, a 23-year-old um, Melbourne in Melbourne, a, a student suing the Australian government for failing to disclose risks on climate change, and, and the focus there was climate change assessment on um, sovereign bonds, and and we've seen ac- action from overseas investors, um, the the Swedish central bank, uh, who divested from Queensland uh, and Western Australian bonds because it felt that the greenhouse gas emissions uh, were, were too high. So again, climate related. So in, in this particular situation where, you, where you're looking at um, Whitehaven coal, it's, it, it specifically relates to an expansion uh, of, of their activities. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, again, when, when you look at um, the, the bank's view on, on coal, uh, their view is to to not invest 
in new coal. Uh, and we've seen the same thing from superannuation funds like HESTA, uh, no investing in new coal. Uh, and so what you're seeing in this case in particular is, is actually just one of many um, court cases or, or protests or actions against uh, coal mining. Uh, or climate risk, the the pressure is on. The pressure's on the the coal mining industry, uh, and and that pressure's coming from uh, from the people. Mm-hmm. So the, the uh, that that's going to need to be addressed uh, mm-hmm. by by companies. And given that pressure. Um which is seems to be increasing, what well, definitely is increasing. We're seeing well across the region, Michael, in Asia Pacific, we're seeing uh, just this week, Korea's first bank say it will stop funding new coal. We've seen massive news out of Japan. Um, we've also seen news out of China um, about the government's announcing net zero uh, by 2060. So all across the region, we're seeing a move uh, against fossil fuels um, and out of coal. Uh, I want to ask you what you think the future looks like in the context of Australia or elsewhere in Asia Pacific, if you think what the future um, of coal and coal mining looks like to you. Yeah, Robin, well, I I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't can't tell you what the future is. uh, Yeah. But... You know, for a long time, uh, the environmental social governance research industry, which I've been a part of, has highlighted the risk of stranded assets. And that stranded yeah. asset risk is an assessment of the the fossil fuel industry, similar to what we saw with other um, stranded assets, whether that's, you know, a horse and cart being replaced by a, an automobile um, I think you know if we're aware of, of this risk in terms of fossil fuels, uh, we should be uh, we should be taking that into consideration when we make decisions, whether that's an investment decision or a choice about a provider. Ultimately, in the future, your your data based crystal ball, Michael, um, shows a future where <laughs> but where where carbon will price polluters out of the economy. Yeah, exactly, and and look, you know, well that that. You know, that sounds like a, a doom and gloom story. But, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about, Robin, and, and maybe this is for another time, is the, the mm. opportunities that we see as well. So when we look at companies, we see a lot of companies that are investing in alternatives, alternative energy sources, energy efficiency, pollution prevention. These, these companies are the ones that have the solution to our problem going forward. Michael, thank you so much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Robin, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.